When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Aloha, spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, the paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network. I'm your host, Aaron Sagers, also appearing as host on the Netflix series 28 Days Haunted, and on the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus show, Paranormal Caught on Camera. This week, I wanted to kick off the new year, 2023, with an interview I conducted last year at DragonCon in Atlanta in September 2022. I was fortunate to be booked as a featured guest at that con, and I had a panel with two podcasters I immensely respect. Now, this is a bit of a lost episode because, as I said, we recorded it live at DragonCon, and we had the intent to publish it back then, but the audio feed went missing. It was quite mysterious. However, I recently acquired some third-party audio of the panel. I say acquired, like like it came into my possession, like it's illicit goods. Now, I do think it's a good talk, but the audio itself is a bit dodgy, so... I did want to make use of it. I didn't want this to go to waste because my guests are Holly Fry and Payne Lindsay. Now, Holly Fry, she has been the host of the award-winning podcast Stuff You Missed in History Class for 10 years, and she created and hosts the historical true crime podcast Criminalia, which is a joint production of iHeartRadio and Shondaland Audio. She has executive produced numerous other shows for iHeartRadio Podcast Network, including Dressed, the history of fashion. And when she's not talking about the past, she's sewing, she's obsessing over Star Wars, she's visiting a Disney park, and she's traipsing around town in ridiculous costumes or obsessing over delicious food. Sometimes she does several of these things at once. She's one of my favorite people out there. I love her to death, and I'm so happy that she could join me. And we also have Payne Lindsay. He's a director and award-winning documentary filmmaker. The Atlanta-area native founded Tenderfoot TV in 2016, co-creating and hosting the company's flagship show, Up and Vanished. And that spawned Tenderfoot's first television series by the same name. Payne would also host the critically acclaimed Atlanta Monster and the anthology series Radio Rental, which is also hosted by Terry Carnation, a.k.a. Rain Wilson, from The Office, and Terry Carnation and Payne have previously been on Talking Strange. Now, we pick up the audio in a bit of an an abrupt area because I was asking a question about how Payne and Holly entered into this world of weird history and true crime, and we dive right into it. So I apologize for the quirky transition. Please bear with us, but I do think overall you're going to enjoy this chat. I would have laughed in your face. 
uh, because I thought I hated history growing up, like so many of us do, because I think so many of us end up in those like classes where you memorize dates and names and it doesn't feel like it's germane in any way to what you're doing in your day-to-day -day life. And that sucks and it's a bad way to learn history. And that's not shade to teachers because often they have to prepare you for a test and that's what it's about. But like, I didn't realize until I had worked in a library for almost 11 years and I worked in acquisitions and I had that deal where like at the end of the day when our curriculum materials were done because I worked for a university library, I had fairly free reign to buy what I wanted with our remaining budget. And our head librarian one day was like, this hilarious man who was like eight million wonderful years old, he was like, you love history. And I was like, F you. Um, no, I do not. And he was like, Holly, all of the stuff that you're buying with discretionary budgets are things like embroidery in 16th century China and um, about Victorian bustling and stuff. And he was like, you just don't know it because you think of it as fashion. And I was like, that's literally what it was like. Oh my God, I love history. Like I really, it was a very strange revelation for me. Um, and then in terms of podcasting, I always feel bad when people ask me how I got into podcasting because I didn't have a choice. Um, I was working as a, a copy editor and a, a site editor for How Stuff Works. And our boss one day at a party that was after work heard Tracy and I being very, very snarky. And we got called into his office the next morning and I thought I was getting fired. And in fact, he said, oh, I think you're funny together. You should have a podcast. <laughs> and that is how that happened. <laughs> uh, because I never would have sought that out, I don't think, for myself. And then here we are 12 years later. That podcast was actually a show called Pop Stuff, which was about sociology and pop culture. And at the time, Stuffiness in History class had already existed in several iterations. It had changed hosts many times while it kind of tried to find its, its voice. And then as one of our our previous hosts uh, took a job elsewhere. She had a great opportunity presented to her. The other person who co-hosted with her said, "Like this is kind of a bear to do every week. Right. I think I would like a break." And so we just moved on to that show, and that's what I've been doing ever since. All right, love it. And uh, and pain, like obviously, you know, I think people associate you uh, your work with a lot of true crime stuff, but it is also history. You're you're telling current history and you're looking back to the past. Did it was this something that you were always interested in or uh, or was it something that developed out of just current events? I mean I think in its simplest form I've always been into the things that you can't explain, uh, just weird unsolved mysteries like Quite literally, the show Unsolved Mysteries. I've been binging that mm -hmm. uh, again for the second time uh, on Apple TV, and just always like just the idea that there's you know something else out there that we don't understand. And so, at one point uh, six years ago, I just had this crazy idea as a broke freelance filmmaker to make a uh, true crime podcast about a missing person and go try to solve the mystery <laughs> and that turned into up and vanish which is a podcast and then from there i've kind of expanded on the different kinds of stories that i, I get into um not really a history book but i think history is clearly important and it's relevant to our future but damn do they make it boring as hell in uh school books it's just and I, I didn't buy it for one second that you didn't like history before. Like I, di I really didn't. I mean, I thought it what? was. I thought exactly what you.
thought it was dull, but it's like when you start looking at the nuances of history okay, and the okay, stories. Okay. Like my big soapbox thing is that what we are taught about history is that it is what happens on thrones and in seats of government. But really, like we are all making history every single day. And those are the stories that really make history alive. Because when you see somebody like yourself from you know, 17th century Italy, and you're like, oh my gosh, there was this weird person who couldn't figure out what they wanted to do with their life, and then they ended up in a job they didn't expect, and then, oh, that's like me, I get this. There were people always like that, and then history starts to become a lot more real, and you see how there have always been, there have always been women, you might not know that if you <laughs> There have always been people of color, there have always been people all over the LGBTQIA spectrum, but they're not the ones that got to tell the stories. Like, isn't it interesting that the people who wrote the history books are always the good guys. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. It's because they're writing it. Like, right. They're never going to be like, I was the jerk, and yeah, I won. The best is when you find that weird doppelganger of yourself. <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't yet, but I've seen other people do it. Just some rando from 1733 mm -hmm. who looks just <laughs> like you. Like we just, we still make the same kinds of looking people. <laughs> Somehow, like, oh shit. The algorithm hit, hit that one, right? It's basically a limited number of templates. Like, you know, there's, right. there's a lot Fine like right. humans, but there is basically a repeatable pattern. And every so often, it is replicated. So there's another pain, another Holly. Maybe, God help me, another Aaron out there. The The idea of true crime and history within, within the podcast realm, like, is certainly, uh, we could say, become popular. Uh, is that has that made your jobs more difficult when there's not only a lot of other podcasts and a lot of other independent films taking place out there in the true crime and history realm? Has it made it more difficult to conduct your business because there is so much else out there? I would say that I mean, just from the business standpoint, sure, there's more content. That's similar because we figured out that people like this kind of stuff. But for me, my when I first made my first true crime podcast, I never actually felt like I was making a true crime show. I wasn't the kind of uh, true crime buff that you could potentially think that I was. Mm -hmm. I was just into the suspense element of it all and chose to put myself into the story and be that person to try to figure this shit out. And that became something after that. So yeah. I think that for me, I get bored with this stuff very easily. And so I'm looking at it like, yeah, there's tons of these things, but what's the next thing that I can do that feels like I'm branching off this way and, I don't know, taking another risk and not feeling like I'm just now in the spin cycle of what we think this kind of content should be or feel or sound like. Um, but that's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, when we started brainstorming Criminalia, um, one of the things that I'm very aware of, and I bet you are too, is that there is this tendency with a lot of true crime to start to feel a little bit weird and voyeuristic. And sometimes that just doesn't feel very enjoyable for me as a listener. I feel strange about it. And what I like about doing stuff that's a little further back in history is twofold. One, you can kind of sidestep that. No one is going to listen to us talk about you know, Rachel Wall, who was the last woman to be hanged in Massachusetts, and go try to find her mom and ask her questions. Like, mm -hmm. that's just not going to happen. It's too long ago. And so we've sidestepped that problem. But the other thing is that it kind of goes back to my earlier point about how magically the people who wrote history books were all the good guys. Um, 
there are a lot of people that were criminalized throughout history that when you look at their business now, it is a very different vibe. Um, the person who actually inspired that entire show was a woman named uh, Julia Tofana, and she is one of several poisoners in Europe in, uh, you know, a stress- Is that a job, a poisoner? Yes. Um, how do you think Nero got the throne? Um, so, so there were a lot of poisoners in Europe at the time, but there were some women poisoners in particular who had taken it upon themselves to help women out of abusive marriages by saying, I can get you out of this. Um, because divorce was not an option. A woman had no power to say like, oh, I'm gonna leave. But those women are talked about like they were these murderesses and it's like, yeah, but they were fighting for the underdog, right? Like they're trying to help somebody who has no other recourse. And so that yeah. to me becomes a little bit more interesting about historical true crime is that you can be like, there's a lot more nuance than we ever actually got about these people. So that's what is kind of fun. There's, there's more information out there, obviously, more than ever, which is both a good thing, but also can it be a challenge when not only are you trying to find the stories, but trying to research them, because there's bad information out there as oh, well. Yeah. So the fact that there's more people talking about history, and I think this is kind of what I'm getting to, is like the more the people are talking about it, the more information is out there, and the more bad information is out there. Have I ever told you that we sometimes do episodes just to make sure the correct information is done after we hear one of those episodes that someone else has done? No, you didn't tell me that. I do. So uh, this isn't in the true crime space, but there was a, it's, it's the best example I can give. There was a surgeon in the 19th century named Robert Liston, and he became famous for amputations. He did really fast amputations. He kind of got this reputation as a showboater. There's a famous story that in one amputation, he killed three people. The patient, one of his attendants, and the man who was watching it because he was so horrified he died of a heart attack. That is a story that gets repeated over and over and over. There is absolutely no historical basis for it. And Robert Liston did do demonstrations and he showed people, I can amputate a leg in under 30 seconds. But his point was not, I'm so fast, I'm a butcher. It was, hey, we don't have anesthesia yet. We have to be faster and better than we've ever been because we're torturing these people as we're trying to get rid of diseased limbs. And that's a very different story than what you have heard over and over and over about that man. So that is like a case where I was like, let me read from the book of Robert Liston. <laughs> uh, because you want to correct those and make sure people understand the context of some of those stories and how they come about. I like that you're leading the charge on rehabilitating Robert Liston's reputation. It was actually pretty great. But you want that to be true, kind of. You're like, I hope there, there was a guy once. I mean, I'm sorry for the people who died, but that sucks. If they, if they did die, if that is true. Well, that's the thing. There's but no evidence that that surgery, that's that crazy. surgery ever took place. That's like the kind of thing that got probably a tall tale told by someone who had witnessed a surgery at some point and saw a guy pass out and was like, I heard everybody die. It's like an enormous <laughs> form of I mean, I think any of us could saw leg off real quick if that was, you know, billion dollars. And have the saw patient leg off live you get that thing with off minimized there. pain. And now we have the you challenge have portion of our podcast. <laughs> I mean, give me the tools first. I don't know how, I mean, just, just saying. I mean, if it's a race, then let's go. I, I feel like this could be an entire uh, panel at DragonCon of how fast can you amputate someone's limb. I would, I would show up to that. The, the, I find in pain, I, I kind of want you to answer this because the more we study history, but also the more we learn about people, 
it's very easy to get cynical about humans. I, I'm kind of of the school of thought that no one should have a statue erected in their honor because when you treat someone as a hero, you inevitably will learn that, well, they weren't that heroic or they were a flawed individual. Through your work, have you developed a cynicism of, about humans? So here's where I'm currently at, and you know, it'll probably evolve throughout the rest of my life. I feel like people are innately selfish. And I mean that in a sense, just a general sense. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, regardless of what you believe in, just from evolution, you know, evolving and banging rocks around and having to scavenge for food. You know, you cared about your meal first. It's just a big, so I, I feel like just throughout time, now there's some special people out there who are really just completely caring of other people in a way that you, that's just impressive to me, right? Where they're just not, just not selfish. But I think innately, almost in our DNA, I feel like that people are selfish even just out of necessity and it just hasn't really gone away entirely. And so that can make shitty people sometimes. Mm -hmm. But there are people who stand out above that who are either smarter, more caring, loving, and those are the people I feel like you should stay close to because they're they're evolving in the right direction and they aren't just trapped in whatever however we were built. I think yeah. That makes any fucking sense. Well no, it, it makes sense. I mean even when you every time you you fly, the the instructions, the safety instructions are uh, if the mask drops down, uh, you put your mask on first before you help anyone else. Which is very practical. <laughs> but it is also cover your own ass. But the reality is I'm sorry, the if the mask drop, you're you're fucked. Right? <laughs> like I'm, I mean I've been on a lot of flights, the masks have not dropped yet. I feel like if the masks are dropping, planes crashing, you're not gonna the mask is just a make it feel better about yeah. what's going on. About, yeah. Yeah. It's a distraction before you hit the water. But take care of your own distraction before you, <laughs> before you help someone else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It takes yeah. more time that way. Yeah. What's your take? Like, what, do you, have there been people that have emerged, what well, you mentioned, uh, listen, but are there people that have emerged as villains that you previously thought of oh. as heroes? <laughs> And you now do you have a do you have a cynicism about? Um, yes and no. Okay, one I will say like I have always kind of been guided. This is so nerdy. I'm sorry by Blakean philosophy in this regard. So William Blake wrote that like you couldn't really be good unless you understood the darkness, unless you understood your own proclivity for evil. Like you're making the choice to be good. That's that's what gives it value. And so I've never presumed anybody to be purely good. You can't. There's too much nuance. And like, there's, we have a joke on our show that like, it doesn't matter what cute thing you think you're researching, you're going to find secret racism. It's just going to happen. Um, I once wanted to do an episode on the Vero brothers who were naturalists. They're the ones that discovered the lemur relative called the Vero subbaca, which is an adorable little animal with this ring tail. And while I was doing my Totally non-problematic so far. It sounds great. Oh, it's, give me a sec. So, um, it's about no. to get so grimy because while they were traveling through Africa looking for new species, they had made friends with this tribe in, we think, Botswana. We do not 
trotted that around Europe for years. That body was only repatriated to Botswana in the last 10 years. Yeah, so this was an actual... Human person that they then were like, look at the savages of the dark continent, and it's disgusting. And it's like, these are men who we have lauded for years as advancing science, as advancing our understanding of the world, but they were doing some really grisly, gross stuff because they didn't value other humans that were other than white Europeans. Yuck. Um, and so finally, I mean, that has been a big, a big issue that that was finally repatriated. On the upside, there are people who do a lot of evil that have these beautiful moments of grace. Like I'm in the middle of researching an episode about a man named Charles Chapin. He was one of the biggest and most powerful publishers. Not Charles Weep Chapin, if you're thinking about the scientist. He was a um, an editor in New York. He was like known to be astonishing in the 1910s. Like everybody wanted to work for him. He was Hearst's nightmare because he worked for Pulitzer. Um, he reached a point where he had experienced debt. He was having a nervous breakdown. He planned to kill his wife and then himself. He killed his wife. He went into a fugue state. He did not kill himself. He came to in Washington Square Park and he immediately turned himself into the police. And he went to prison for all of this. But what's really interesting is that while he was at Sing Sing, he turned that big empty yard that they had, just about two football fields worth of area, into the most beautiful rose garden you could ever imagine. And one of the things that he really focused on was, I want the last steps into the death house to be the most beautiful place on the, the premises. Because I want men, no matter how bad they were, who are going to their last breath to see something beautiful before they die. And to that's me, it's so like, sweet. that's an astonishing yeah. and beautiful thing, that this man who knows he did very wrong things, and even recognized that he had been kind of a dick as a boss to a lot of people, like in his later years, was like, what can I do to make somebody's life better because I have screwed up a lot of stuff? And like, that's beautiful. I mean, flowers can fix a lot of problems. That's just, right? <laughs> well, his, his gardens were, became so renowned that like women's garden groups wanted to go to Sing Sing prison to do tours. Because you're like, how do you get your tulips? They started, <laughs> they started poisoning <laughs> other people. Or you can get how into it. How, how did you get how these roses to look like? Is it eggshells? What's your secret? <laughs> just, I need to take this to the grave, I promise. But you know, what is, what is the secret? Uh, that is a great story. It's, uh, have you entered into any situations where you view someone as a villain and they come about uh, as more rounded human, where you, you like them a little bit more? I mean, I feel like just generally speaking, <laughs> the more you dig back into time, you do find out, oh yeah, everyone was pretty shitty. I mean, especially in today's age, no one would fly today uh, at all. Even people that are heroes, it, somehow they were all racist. It doesn't make sense. It, I mean, we didn't. I didn't read that in the history books. But then you find out. Oh damn! Even that guy was racist. Oh, yeah. wow, this is crazy. Um, that to me is almost just like a running joke now. Where I'm like, oh yeah, anything like pre, I don't know, 2005 is the danger zone. <laughs> How do you deal with that when you're when you have because your projects involve so many interviews with other people and and. Let's say with Radio Rental, which we discussed recently, great show, and you have people submitting their stories. Do you have to vet them at all to make certain that they're also not, you know, a, a uh, you know, a, a proud boy or whatever? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that if it was a proud boy, I'd probably recognize that. 
that in some way, like, eh, something's weird about all yeah. of this. Um, I do think also there's a, a level for some people that, I mean, if you're from some small town and you only know what's in this little bubble, you might say some things in a way that I'm like, I'm gonna do you a favor and not put that in here. Right. Because, and, and we talk together, and I, I know that you're not literally racist or whatever it is, sex, whatever it is, right? I'm like, I, I, I'm gonna do you a solid by like, filtering not how you say this anymore, yeah. right? Um, so there's a little bit of that, but if, if they're like a piece of shit, then we're just not doing it. But I think that, we get to the point where we're actually interviewing, we've already gone through that process. Mm -hmm. But sometimes someone will say something where I'm like, oh, you, you, we don't say that anymore. And I think that it's just like, you know, just the same way your, your grandpa would say something fucked up, or, or my, you know, whatever, my grandpa, and you're like, oh, no, he does, he means well. But you're like, okay, let's just uh, not dig into that too much. But um, they saw me make a weird face. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Trying to do my part. Yeah. The, let's shift into the paranormal a little bit, and Holly, I'm gonna start with you, because you're not really a paranormal believer. No. Like, what's what's your metric of where are you at with it? Totally non-believer, cynic? Oh God, I would love for somebody to prove something to me. Yeah. Right, I mean, everybody has had their weird moment, and I certainly have as well, but I just presume like there was a gas leak in my house. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind Which of weird. Which does happen. Right? It yeah. can happen. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So how do you approach, because certainly on uh, stuff, stuff you missed in history class, you do dip into these topics, oh, yeah. and it's, it's kind of impossible to talk about some of these characters within a, a certain era without discussing their sort of paranormalist beliefs or their oh, yeah. religious beliefs. So how do you dip into it, even if you are not a believer? Oh, I mean, listen, everybody's got their own point of view. And I, whenever we're talking about any of these stories, if someone believes in their soul, right? Mary Todd Lincoln is a great example. That woman believed. She needed to believe because that was how she was hanging on to reality. Um, I'm not gonna judge her, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't live her life. I don't, all I can do is like, do as, as solid an effort of research as I possibly can and find out everything about her and tell her story and say like, yes, she believed in it. I mean, there are a lot of people that we uncover when we're talking about these that are clearly people that are, are manipulating things for their own benefit, right? But, and in that case, we'll say like, you pretty clearly see like, William Mumler was very obviously faking spirit photography to get people who had lost people in the Civil War to pay him $25 to take a ghost picture, right? Like mm -hmm. that was, he never confessed to that, but it's pretty obvious. Even P.T. Barnum went on the stand and was like, I know bullshit and this guy's covered in it. Mm -hmm. So like, there are people who obviously do that, but I try to never bring my judgment into it, right? All we can do is, is 
really do the research and reveal what we've seen on it. And even if we say, listen, I, this isn't what I believe, but there were a lot of people that believed, for example, like Helena Blavatsky was the real deal, even though there were people that felt that they had disproven her completely in her mysticism. But there were lots of people that also did, and that's the only way we can really do it, is just report it as straight as possible. Well, we discussed pain recently, sort of where you're at with this world. You would not consider yourself, or would you consider yourself sort of in the camp of, oh, maybe this, this shit's real. I think there's, I mean, most certainly things that do happen, not a lot, but sometimes that can't be explained by what we know right now today. Now, there are the, the gas leaks, and I had a weird vision, and this and that, or it looks weird on the phone, all kind of stuff, right? But I think that if you whittle it all down, and you get to the this weird 1%, whatever it is, there are some things that happen that can't be explained. I think that eventually science will explain all of these things, um, from UFOs to even, you know, my views of ghosts and stuff have even changed too. I mean, I, I've heard enough stories from people, and just making my own assumptions here, but I, I feel like a, a ghost is not someone's spirit or soul, like some, you know, r religious type of thing. It's, it's more of a, uh, like time plane thing, you're, you're stuck somewhere in some way that can be explained scientifically at some point. And like, I think if we could figure that out, then like, that's how you'd figure out even how UFOs even move around. Probably doing tapping into something that we don't really understand yet that science has not been able to disprove is possible. We still don't know how to do it yet. I mean, even Einstein was on that tip with time being its own plane. So it's, I, I think that. All we know is that we don't know anything, and there's a lot of fun and hype around the paranormal, you know, UFO space and all that kind of stuff, because it's stuff that we don't know and you can't explain it very easily, but I think that science will eventually explain everything. It's not some, you know, mystical, magical thing going on. It's something that can actually make logical sense. We're just not there yet. We're not, we're not that evolved yet. See, I, I agree, which is why it fascinates me in so many ways that when you ask people what is a ghost, their answer is already telling you a lot about uh, the person. It's it's mm -hmm. it's it's loaded with their own preconceived notions and uh, their their belief system and all of that. Sure. I think that what's cool is the fact that this weird stuff is happening and we don't have an explanation for it yet. We oh, might. Yeah. We it's might definitely cool. That's why. It's, that's why we yeah. talk about it at all. It's because we don't know. We can all sit here and speculate and say, "Oh, it's not true," or they're making yeah. that up. And sometimes they are making it up. But you know, I almost think that the stigma behind the whole thing is what's gotten in the way of us actually figuring out some of the things that are really definitively fucking weird. Sure, like, yeah, right. it's, it's hard to justify getting a academic grant to explore, sure. you know, paranormal phenomena because then you're gonna be laughed out of the, the university as a crackpot. I feel like it's changing though. I feel like just even the next generation of people, even just now, uh, I mean, really respectable people look into that stuff and they're not as afraid as they were 10, 20 years ago to go spend money and dedicate their lives into figuring this out because eventually that's that's the only way we figure it out. Someone's gonna be the person to do that and then we all eventually, you know, 100 years from now just accept that as fact because someone else went out and proved that for us. 
want to hear from you guys if you have questions, but uh, Holly, I will ask you, and Payne, I want your response too, because you have dipped into these stories that contain paranormal elements as well as the true crime and the history. What's been a story that you have found perhaps some of the more compelling that involve the unexplained? Has there been any story that you're like, okay, that's weird enough that it makes me a little bit more intrigued? Ooh, I'm trying to think. Because usually, I mean, you, you just kind of, one, part of the thing is that I will eventually just categorize things as history mystery. Right. right, because we can't ever know, which right. is part of the problem. Kind of it, right? Even yeah. if it was a thing that was well documented at the time, journalistic standards were very, very different a hundred years ago than they right. are today, and people could just kind of like put their opinion in a, in a story as though it were facts, right. without any questioning. Granted, there are still problems in that realm going on, but like that was the standard. If you read like the New York Times from 1898, it'll they will literally make statements like that defendant's ugly, they must be guilty. And it's like yeah. what? And the same thing applies to paranormal things. It couldn't be anything except for a ghost moving these items. So um, I'm trying to think of anything that's really made me go, that one for sure. And I can't come up with anything. All right, we'll come back to you. Payne, I mean, because you're getting constantly a flood of I have, a, I have a lot, but I'm not trying to like summarize this in the best way possible. This, this one continues to, to fuck with me, but I think it also kind of goes into maybe some potential scientific explanation for all this stuff eventually, right? So this uh, this couple, guy and girl, they were probably in their mid-late 20s. They were boyfriend-girlfriend. They lived in New York City. They came home from this uh, club late at night, went back to the apartment, went to sleep. Uh, dude wakes up, and he his girlfriend's there asleep. He's, he was a cigarette smoker, so he went downstairs to smoke a cigarette, and he was sitting there smoking, and then all of a sudden, this cab pulls up, and it's his girlfriend. And he's like, what? I just, like, I, I swear I just saw you. And she's yelling at him, she's freaking the fuck out, and she's marching upstairs and yelling at him, not saying what's going on. They get into the apartment, she's literally fucking throwing stuff around, broke a coffee pot, broke the TV, throwing stuff around. Also, not to mention, she, uh, used her key to get in the apartment. And eventually she storms downstairs, he's running like, what's going on? Like, what did I do? And she just drives off and he's like completely heartbroken. And then a few seconds later, felt a hand on the back of his shoulder and it was his girlfriend. And she was there like, hey, what are you doing down here? And he's like, what? okay, what the fuck? And they go upstairs, the whole shit is completely in disarray and everything's fucking broken, just how we thought it was. So she's thinking there's been a break-in. Right. And her dad was a cop, and they called, you know, the dad, and he's, like, having a hard time trying to explain what he felt happened here. And they go all the way to the point where they get the tape of, like, the security tape of the actual apartment complex, and they see a girl who looks just like her going in with him and running up the stairs and going all, I mean, there's nothing inside the apartment, but all the way up until inside of the apartment. And then she's thinking that he's cheating on her and the dad thinks it's some big weird thing. But eventually they got to the point just as a couple that like, they were both telling the truth and we just cannot figure this out. Eventually they, they broke up, but he has, 
if it was some mental weird thing that happened, right, then it's totally possible, right? Right. But it's the only time it's ever happened in his whole life. And so to me, that's like, it's interesting. It kind of, like, if you wanted to get all heady about it and all weird, you could say, oh, maybe there's like, you know, some timeline slip or something, right? Like, in some other version of these events, this happened, or, and maybe that sounds crazy because we just don't know, but maybe it's really just not that crazy. Somewhere out there is some other thing just living on top of each other, and that's how you can even explain a ghost. It's like, oh yeah, they're just stuck in some weird thing, and they're not really a full being anymore. I don't know. No, I mean, in I, TED Talk. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I enjoy that just because I don't go, I don't go anywhere with the assumption that something is haunted or not haunted, mm -hmm. and I don't say ghosts are this or that. Instead, I think there's, it's not A, B, and C. It's all of the above. There's so much weirdness that's potentially out there, and I even wondered, like these people that were locked away in asylums in the past because they were supposedly talking to someone that was not there, and now we're in 2021, and I go to events where people are poking around in those asylums with flashlights and asking questions of the ghosts. It's like, what if there's some weird situation where they are living in their timeline and we're living in our timeline and they are encountering not ghosts, but us in the future. Even. Sure. I mean, the big problem to me is that mental illness is totally in the way of us figuring that out. Because, I mean, if you have schizophrenia or something, these things are going to be real as hell to you. Right. And it's and, and like that that could be a rational way to explain it based on what we know now. But it you can't always go to just that. No one has a a momentary lapse of schizophrenia and doesn't have it anymore. Yeah. But it's just like, it's, but it's blurred the lines of what, how we can really kind of further push the ball to figure out what the hell's going on in there. Well, I think. And and Holly, I mean, if you don't have that story that you found the most compelling, um, I'm curious about your thought about just being, becoming a student of human nature through your history studies, historical studies, Kind of what do you think is happening when we have these peaks and valleys of paranormal enthusiasm? Well, I think if you look at any, um, you know, kind of culture or moment in time where something like that really explodes, you can see the things that led up to it, right? Like, this is going to sound like a really weird place to start, but if you... Look at my man, Louis XIV. I love me some Louis XIV, right? Like, he <laughs> had this plan when he was king of France that he recognized globalization was happening, and he was like, how do we make the French identity something special and unique and maintain our place? He is the reason that we still think of France today as, like, the apex of design and art. It, he was literally like, okay, great, we're going to invest in these things. We're going to uh, create schools for these things. We're going to be all I mean, about it. does look cool still. Right. And, but the thing was, he was also very good at statecraft. So while he was kind of building this image, he was also expanding France's um, geographical footprint. He was winning battles. He was doing some smart things. So his grandson, Louis XV, was not so good at statecraft. He wasn't terrible. He got along good with people. He didn't quite have the same level of vision, and he really enjoyed living a very big life. By the time we get to Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, they don't know how to do any of the statecraft. They only know how to do the, the party part. Um, here is the moment in time where the tarot deck happens, right? Like, 
Tarot decks existed before this, particularly in 16th century Italy, they were huge. It was a game. There is still a game of tarot in France that's played with a deck that is just a game. It has nothing to do with the oh, mystical. Wow. Yeah. And the thing was, it wasn't until 1781, so we're looking at seven years into Louis XVI's reign. The country is in deep debt. They are messed up. It is on the eve of the French Revolution. Everybody is ill at ease, and this one guy, uh, Antoine Coeur de Javelin, writes this book that is supposed to be a treatise about like the world and how the ancient world affects our their modern world. And he is the first one that makes this strange assertion that the tarot deck is really the book of Thoth, which has been encoded in game form and sent via travelers to Europe because people in Egypt were so afraid of losing that mystical knowledge. And he's the first one that makes this assertion, but he dies right after that. And then uh, Jean-Baptiste, um, I'm gonna blank out on his last name. You could just say something. Anyway, anyway. Um, it's, it's Atelier, <laughs> yes. Uh, he decides, right. he decides, oh, people think this is an interesting idea. And he's the one who is literally like, by the way, the Pope card is no longer a Trump card in a game that has mystical meaning and we're gonna rewrite it. And he was the first person that was like, and I'll read your cards for a fee. And people in France were so confused and scared at this point because for a hundred years they had been told by the Regency, like, we have a plan, we are doing the shit, we got you covered, and then it was becoming apparent they didn't. And so they just wanted something that made them feel like they understood the world, even though they didn't, to be able to go like, yes, but a man read my cards and he said, I'm gonna be financially safe. And that felt really good at a time when no one felt financially safe in France. And so those are the kinds of moments where that stuff explodes. I mentioned Mumler earlier. Spirit photography exploded in the period right after the Civil War because so many people had died and mothers and families and wives were just aching to see the people they loved again. And those are like the things, they're like those moments in, in cultural time, we're about to hit like a huge one, I feel like, because everybody feels a little prickly and on edge all the time. And we need something. Really? No. I, I'm very chill. <laughs> but I think, you know, that's kind of what does it. You just want something that feels like it's soothing. You don't have to fully understand it because you're told it's not fully understandable, but that it's okay and that you can apply it to the world that already feels a mess and you feel like you, you have a deeper understanding. I, and I've talked about this before, and I agree. I mean, certainly the interest in uh, the paranormal does tend to peak after major traumatic events. And yeah, after Civil War, it seemed like it reemerged after World War One. I think it emerged after 9-11, uh, and it presented itself in the form of uh, paranormal reality TV shows and the interest there. And it's gonna be curious seeing yeah, what happens. This next wave with, with COVID, but also the way that we have not fully processed the pandemic. People have died, a lot of people have died, but we haven't had this end to it. It's not like an end date, like the war is over. We're done, go home. Yeah. So, well, and even when, when wars end, they don't end. Right, like, right. There were civil war battles after. Yeah, it's just a new thing we were going to have to adapt to. Yeah. And, and, and the bigger spectrum of 100 years, it looks like a little blip. And by the way, most of us are not going to know what that is ever. Right. Because we'll right. never have the perspective to recognize. Right. I'm living like at least 100 more years for sure. I mean, I hope I do too, but I bet we still won't quite know. <laughs> and we'll still know nothing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, does anybody have any questions out there? I know 
challenge themselves on why they love this shit so much. Um, and, you know, good and bad. And I think that that might create more of a reality check with the kinds of content that's being produced and what we're comfortable listening to. I think when it, in terms of the paranormal, unexplained stuff, I think that um, in, in some ways, even stuff like TikTok and whatever else, there's, there's so much content out there that people are, are putting out stories in a way where you can see them faster and quicker. That, but that also comes with people just making shit up because they want to have a, a popular uh, YouTube account or TikTok account, right? So I think that's going to be a little bit of that. But I think eventually we'll get to a point where you know the entire next generation of people is kind of immune to the stigma of the idea that there's more shit out there that we don't understand. I think it's really kind of like almost the boomer generation that's kind of like held on to like, no, we can't, this is how things were. And we, it's like, no, like there's still so much that we don't know. Yeah. doesn't mean you gotta be all crazy crackpot conspiracy about it. That's, no one likes that anyways. But like, you can keep an open mind and, you know, look forward and I don't know, use your own rational thinking. Sometimes, I mean, some things that I've seen, I have not been able to rationally explain. Not a whole shit ton, but a, enough for me to say, okay, like, I don't know, you got me there, and I'm not, and I know you didn't fake this, so, so now what? And it's, you know, and it's also one of many if you look globally. So I think we're just, hopefully we learn a lot more, and we just become, becomes less stigmatized, and we can just figure out how to learn and move on, and we'll evolve as people through that. Yeah, I think that the, I, I agree, I think the rise of more of the secular spooky that's not tied to specific religious belief is going to be the pathway forward. So as sort of the old, old guard that has these beliefs that are too so tied to, I don't know, I was raised Catholic, like tied to the church, things like that, that'll go away. And then the spooky nerds will kind of seize the day because it's not tied to any specific spiritual belief. But Holly, what is your thought about, uh, I mean, crime, history, spookiness, and just podcasts in general, what do we need more and less of? Um, I think we need more critical thinking, that's it. Right? Yes. Like, like that's, that's the thing. I love, everybody loves a great story, but like, if it seems too good to be true, that's what we need less of is just, just to go, yes, and so I'm going to share it. Like, think about it. <laughs> um, maybe do a no, quick post it on Facebook anyways. Right? Just, just it. post it over and over. All we need is, yeah, I mean, again, everything I keep yelling about, like, everything has nuance and context that shifts what it is. Like, any given fact can be singled out and made to appear in a way that isn't really what it was just based on removing all of the context and so as long as people are doing more critical thinking and they're really looking at the surrounding elements of any given story and putting it in context and not just accepting things at face value as true or not that's really all we need more media literacy more critical thinking oh gosh and i know we're out of time but i have to follow up with that like you know how do we get more critical thinking when there's the dopamine hit of posting something on Facebook and on social media and that that immediate reaction and also the memeability of things to put out a quote or a fact about a historical figure and it just it's gets spread like because it well, feels the good. The dopamine hit of real knowledge is a hundred times better than the dopamine hit 
Nation is really good. <laughs> 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 Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content. Mm